I feel radiant when I live in that freedom he has for me and I stop performing. You know, that ultimately the things that don't get resolved this side of heaven get resolved on the other side of heaven Mm -hmm. and that that's hopeful to me. To me, the radiance of Christ is like a friend that tells you the truth and lifts your face. Jesus, to me, what what he came here and what what he did for all of us, that was the, the physical embodiment of God's grace. Hey, you. Do you find yourself on the search for conversations that point you back to Jesus in the midst of a lot of noise? Here's the thing. You were made to shine. And when you look to Christ and follow him boldly, you radiate his love to the world around you. I want this space to be a safe place to run when you need to hear real truth. So we'll have conversations that will encourage and equip you to stand strong in your life, work, and relationships. Around here, we'll have chats full of both grit and grace, discipline and rest, theology and compassion, accountability and kindness. If you've had enough of fear, shame, comparison, then good. You are in the right place because none of those things will find a home here. So buckle up because I'll be gathering my favorite new friends and some old ones to bring you inspirational stories, strategic advice, and hard-won wisdom that will help blend what you love with the Jesus who makes you shine. I'm your host, Rebecca Dotson-George, and I want to welcome you to the Radical Radiance Podcast. Do you ever get to the end of a podcast and think, I'm just not done with that conversation? Girl, me too. And I love hearing from you about how the show is encouraging you and what God is stirring up in you as a result. And I really wanted the opportunity to connect one-on-one with more of you. So that's why I've created a Radical Radiance Patreon community. Patreon is an online platform that hosts bonus content and provides creators a way to hang out with their audience in a more intimate way. Here's how we're going to use it. There are three tiers, the bestie tier, which will include access to the platform and extra conversations with all our guests that only Patreon besties will get to hear. These questions will not be shared on your podcast platform. Then there's the VIP party tier. This includes the bestie tier access and you get invited to a monthly VIP party on Zoom where we get to hang out, get to know one another better and do some coaching in a group session. Finally, there is the calling coach tier and this tier you'll be able to access the previous tiers plus have a 30 minute coaching call per month with me to talk about anything podcast, ministry or career related. How fun does this sound? So come on over to Patreon by downloading the app or visiting patreon.com and search Radical Radiance. I cannot wait to meet you inside the community. Hey friends, I'm so excited to be back with you today for another episode of the podcast. Today is such a treat. We have our new friend, Patty Callahan Henry, on to talk about her latest book, Once Upon a Wardrobe. You guys are not going to want to miss this book. And we talk all about the book everybody went nuts over 
that preceded it, Becoming Mrs. Lewis, the account of the wife of C.S. Lewis. Patty is so kind, so generous, and is so creative. We talk all about her process of writing and about her new book, Once Upon a Wardrobe, that's coming out soon. You can grab it anywhere books are sold. And I just can't wait to introduce you to her. So help me welcome our new friend, Patty, to the show. Patty, I am so excited to have you. Thank you for being with me today. I am so happy to be here. Thank you for having me. This is so fun. People might recognize your voice. You and your sister have very similar voices. It was really funny. <laughs> yeah, I think you do because when we talked a couple of months ago, so your sister is Jeannie Cunyon, um, yes. author we know and love around here as well. And she released a new book about the Holy Spirit that totally just has rocked my socks off. I loved it so much. And when we were talking about that book, she told me all about you. She was just gushing about your latest fiction book that had came out when I was asking her what books she was talking about and telling people to read right now. And so I immediately went and did a little bit more homework on you. And I'm so excited to have you today just to talk a little bit about your career and your writing um, and kind of dig into that a little bit. So I'll read a little bit of a little bit of your rap sheet, which when people do that to me, that always feels like ugh, super. I was going to say, I want, <laughs> I want people to know who you are. So, Patty, you are the New York Times and USA Today bestselling author of sixteen novels. I want to know: Did you always dream about being a writer? And like, when did you see that kind of gift start to bubble up in you? I want you to tell listeners a little bit of your story. Well, that. First of all, Rebecca, I'm so happy to be here. And I think I always knew I needed to do that mm. thing. But in hindsight, I always wanted to be a writer, but it didn't seem possible. It seemed like the dream of saying, oh, I want to be an astronaut. Um, it seemed too big to say when I was young. So I went to college to be a nurse. I'm actually a nurse by education. Wow. My master's degree is in nursing, but always on the side, I was scribbling and writing and always on the side, I was telling stories and always on the side, I was wondering, I wonder why this, or wonder why that, or I wonder what would happen if, and then in my late 30s, I sat down and said, I just want to try and write one book. I just want to yeah. do, try to make the one thing that has sustained me for most of my life, which is reading and books. And I was a bookworm nerd. I actually used to get in trouble for reading. My kids do not get in trouble for reading. <laughs> did. And I sat down and that was 16 books ago. So I think sometimes, and you probably hear this a lot with women finally opening up to whatever their gifts might be, is that you always knew, but you were afraid to admit to yourself that this was a gift you wanted to try and use yeah. because it felt too big. Yeah, that's so good. And I think what I find in, not only in myself, but in all of my peers is nothing about the path is linear. And I think sometimes mm -hmm. we expect it to be right. Like we expect I do a plus B and it's going to equal C. And that's so often not 
what our calling or our purpose or all these weighty words that we like to throw around. It's, it's often not what um, that actually lived out looks like. And I mean, I know even for me, I started dreaming about writing seven or eight years ago and I'm just now, you know, God's opening the doors to allow that to happen in a traditional format. But I've been writing for like a long time, you know? And so I think there's power in, in the idea of like, we can do what we're called to do and we can pursue those ways that we're gifted and and called by God um, along the way to like get our reps in as God opens those doors. And so, I mean, I, I don't know your entire story to your first book, but I would imagine it's probably similar in that it was not. uh Okay. I also think that there's this really interesting, if we can stop and look back and, and not have regrets, like, oh, I should have gone to journalism school instead of nursing sure. school, or because here I am an author, is that there isn't a traditional path to these kind of things. And so I don't regret a single, the, the, re, the skills I learned as a nurse, I was pediatrics. Mm-hmm. And being with families and wa- the empathy and the, the watching the human drama, wa- watching what it means to be human and broken and sick. And it, like that opened up a wellspring for me that I can tap into when I write that maybe I wouldn't have tapped into in a classroom. So there's no point in saying, well, I can't be a writer or an author of novels or a fiction writer or a nonfiction writer or anything thing at all, really, because I didn't go to school for it, or you have to go to school to be a doctor. But you know, for these kind of creative endeavors, we put ourselves in a box and say, I didn't go to school for that. That's not who that's not what I'm supposed to do. And if we'll just listen to all these little, for me, it was about listening to all these little hints and clues of what I was constantly curious about. Mm -hmm. And if we pay attention to what we're constantly curious about and care about, they're like these little breadcrumbs that will take us to, to, to where, you know, there's a different path. Yeah, that's so good. And I think there's sort of a general curiosity that, that, that keeps coming up, right. That, that sort of led you to this path, which I love. So I am not a fiction writer who knows maybe Maybe I will do that one day. I don't know, but Someday. I I would love to hear sort of your process of like developing stories. Like what does it look like for you to fall in love with a story or a period of time in history um, and then sort of build a book off of that? I want to hear sort of like your process. Wow. So it's changed. My process has changed through the years as I've you know, I've been writing novels for about 23 years or so. Um, Once Upon a Wardrobe, which we'll talk about in a minute. I think it's my 16th or 17th, depending how you count novellas. I don't know. But the the general process, if I'm going to boil it down to some kind of nutshell, is that, like I said a second ago, I get curious about something. Mm -hmm. I wonder what, I wonder, like, I'll use a very concrete example, my novel, Becoming Mrs. Lewis. I wonder what her story is. We only hear his story. What's Mm -hmm. her story, right? His story is archived in in a million different books and in a movie called Shadowlands. What's her story? And then 
there's something very numinous or something that's hard to explain. And often trying to explain where a story idea comes from is kind of a fool's errand because it's very hard to pinpoint exactly when you decide a story is worth telling. Mm. But for me, it's a combination of, of what I can only describe as like this knowing a little bit of a tingle on the back of the neck, a little like, yes, this kind of spidey sense, this knowing that this is a story that might be worth pursuing and then doing the research, trying to decide if it is. And sometimes it's not sometimes, you know, I've abandoned many stories, you know, in the beginning phases, but then what's the most important to me is to know what the character wants and what their moral arc is going to be in the story. Mm. So once I know what they want, why they can't get what they want, what they're pursuing, what their journey is going to be and what their transformation is going to be, then I can really start writing in earnest. And for my historical books, it's it's also this braiding together, this confluence of, of research and imagination where my other novels, um, my contemporary ones are completely imagined. But the historical ones, there's this constant braiding together and and never ending research. While I'm writing, I'm researching. Before I'm writing, I'm researching. After I'm done and about to edit, I research. So there's this braiding together of imagination and research. Yeah, that's so good. You know, you mentioned Becoming Mrs. Lewis a few minutes ago, and it released a year or two ago, I think. Um, yeah, 2018. Yeah. Gosh, it's yeah. been almost three years. That's crazy. Isn't that crazy? It's so crazy. Everybody went nuts over that book. And I think oh, for the exact reason that you just said, we all know the story of C.S. Lewis, but it's so interesting. And even I remember just reading the description of it and I was like, man, I've never thought about her. Like, I want to know See? about her. And yeah. so I'm curious without like giving anything away for people who have not read the book yet. Tell us something that maybe surprised you the most as you explored their story, her story, um, as you wrote the book. Hey friends, just a quick break in today's episode to tell you all about one of our sponsors, the Shine Bright Journal. This is a free resource to help you walk through scripture and learn about what it looks like to radiate the love of Christ. We'll look at the fruits of the spirit, what the church is supposed to look like, and so much more. You will have room to dive into scripture, pray, journal, all the things. And I hope it's such an encouragement to you. So go grab it today for free by heading over to RadicalRadiance.live. Now, back to our conversation. So many things surprised me when I was doing the research for that book. And, you know, I don't believe it's a spoiler to say that, you know, she she dies and breaks Lewis's heart because he has fallen in love with her and married her. But their marriage is very short, only three years because she passes away. That's what Shadowlands is about. That's what A Grief Observed is about. So I knew I wanted to write what everybody calls their improbable love story. Here was a New York born and bred poet, novelist, mother, married woman living 
in New York and then this Oxford Don in England, he had never left England or Ireland for his whole life, except for the six months in World War I when he was in France. And she had never left New York except for six months that she wrote screenplays in Hollywood. How were these two people to have ever met, much less become friends, much less fallen in love and married? And that was the question I wanted to answer was how did this improbable love story happen? What was the impetus? You know, they were pen pals for three years. But what surprised me the most were two things. One, what an absolute genius she was. Mm. She, why had nobody been talking about that? She had won the Yale Younger Poets Award. When they tested her as a child, she broke the IQ chart, like tested as high as she could go. She was a McDowell Artist Colony protege. She could read when she was three years old. She graduated from high school when she was 14 years old. These these amazing things about this woman. She was a site memorizer. She was a, a genius with reviews. She wrote novels, poetry, essays. What, all I ever knew about her was that she was a woman from America who was dying for most of Shadowlands. And the second thing that surprised me and the one thing I really hope I portrayed with that, and this isn't a spoiler, but the the last 10 years of Lewis's work have her fingerprints all over it. She deeply influenced the last decade of his work. He only lived three years after she passed. Yeah. Wow. That's unbelievable. I, I've been saving the book for my next vacation where I get to just, so I, here's my thing with fiction. I, I need to read more fiction, period. I mean, full stop. I just I just do. But the most fun time for me to read fiction is when I'm just like totally unplugged from everything about my life and I can just let my brain imagine and dream and, and go to that place. And so um, I have a copy, but I, I've been saving it for my next space when I'm in that space. You know what I mean? So I just... I, I can't, can't wait to hear what <sighs> you think. I know. I can't wait to read it. But... I am really excited. Really, the reason we have you on today is to share a little bit about your next novel that comes out on October 9th. I believe this episode will release pretty close to your release date, which is really fun for people. So when they're hearing this, um, they're going to be able to go grab Once Upon a Wardrobe. But I want you to tell a little bit about uh, just kind of what makes you excited about this, this new book. So Once Upon a Wardrobe stems from, we talked a little bit about where the stories come from, Mm -hmm. stems from this idea that it's nearly impossible to pin down where a story came from. And when I was doing research for Becoming Mrs. Lewis, I did see some breadcrumbs of Lewis's life that I could tell were part of Narnia because I'm a huge Narnia fan. I've been Uh. reading it since I was a child. And and it kept, I kept thinking about that. I wrote another book in the meantime, came out last March. It's called Surviving Savannah, Historical mm-hmm. Fiction. But this idea kept bubbling up. Where, where did Narnia come from? How did he imagine this world that has impacted 
generations. It has become part of our psyche. When you say Aslan or Narnia or the White Witch, everybody knows what you're talking about. It's not like, oh, hey, have you ever heard of Narnia? Well, let me tell you, right? Uh There's, it would be difficult to find that person. So how did this story enter the universal consciousness in this way? What did he do that, that this was able to happen? And I, as an author, and and you too, and almost all authors get asked that unanswerable question, where did this come from? So I started looking around and there were loads and loads, I have most of them on my bookshelf over here, about theories about where Narnia came from. Um, There's textbooks, there's abridged versions, there's, you know, encyclopedias of Narnia, and they're all really interesting, but for me, I started thinking about if that was his purpose, mm-hmm. you know, it, did he want us to pick it apart in that way? Yeah. And so I imagined a little boy named George and a little girl who's 17 named Megs, who live in a small town in England called Worcester. Mm-hmm. And George is ill. And it is November of 1950, which is the month that the lion, the witch, and the wardrobe burst onto the scene. Yeah, No one knew there would be more Narnia. So it's just this one book that has burst onto the scene. He reads it nonstop. He hides in his wardrobe. And his sister is a student at Oxford. She mm. is a math and physics student. And she's obsessed only with numbers and equations and logic. Mm. And he asks her to track down the author of this book because he teaches at her college, at her university, and ask him where Narnia came from because he's very ill and he he desperately wants to know if there's something more. Mm -hmm. And she says, that's ridiculous. It's just imagination. And she's not going to bother the professor, but she loves her brother. So she does track down Lewis and asks him outright, where did Narnia come from? My brother needs to know. And instead of answering her, he gives her more stories, stories that are true and stories that are from his life, stories that are dark and light and sad and uplifting to show me and the reader and all of us that, um, there are certain parts of story source that can't be explained, and yet our life is part of those stories. And I wanted to show that about Lewis without making another encyclopedia of what I guess he means, because I don't know. None of us know. Yeah. So that is where the story came from. So Megs and George have these great adventures, and... Every story he tells them sets them off on a new, she changes, he changes. And that's what the book is about. Patty, I cannot wait. This is so fun. I cannot wait to read both of them. Okay. I know what I'm going to be over the next couple months. I know what I'm going to be reading fiction wise. You've, um, you've spurred me on in that today because I tell my husband all the time, I'm like, I know it's good for my brain. And I know it's just like good. It's just good for your soul to read more fiction. And it's just something that sometimes I I just find it hard to like 
totally disengage with my work and allow myself to do that in like normal life. But that is something that I'm going to work on. So you've inspired me in that today. And I'm, I can't wait to pick up once upon a wardrobe. I, I think it's such an interesting way to unpack a story that we're all curious about if we're being honest. And it is such a part of, like you said, like our psyche, nobody doesn't know the story of, um, of Narnia and of that series. And so goodness, I cannot wait. Well, I, before we go over to our Patreon community and our people get to know you a little better, I want to give you the opportunity to sort of tell people, um, you know, those of us who love, who love fiction and we, we fall in love with people's writing. Um, some of us want to know, like, how can we know that author better or what does that, is there a community out there, um, where people can do that? I want you to tell people where can they connect with you, listen to you. You have a podcast sort of experience that goes along with becoming Mrs. Lewis. And I don't know if you're doing that with the new book as well, but just share a little bit about where can people connect with you and know you more. So I have a a website, pattycallahan.com, and you will find more than you want to know on that website. Um, I'm very active on Instagram and Facebook. The I do have a podcast for Becoming Mrs. Lewis, which is Mm -hmm. called Behind the Scenes of the Improbable Love Story of Joy Davidman and C.S. Lewis. And I interview the seven most fascinating experts that I interviewed from the book, including her son. C.S. Lewis's stepson. So you can hear him tell stories. Um, And I'm very active, like I said, on Instagram. And I'm not very active on Twitter. Um, Me neither. I hate Twitter. I find that to be kind of a not very uplifting place. That's very Um, kind of you to say. But the, yeah. And then the, um, I am part of a group called Friends in Fiction. It is five New York Times bestselling authors it's me and Christy Woodson Harvey, Mary Kay Andrews, Mary Alice Monroe, and Kristen Harmel. And we have a weekly live Facebook and YouTube show. And every week we interview a different author. And we have interviewed everyone from Kristen Hanna to Delia Owens to William Kent Kruger. To it. We have now have 90 episodes, I think, 85 episodes. And then we also have a Friday podcast where we interview the authors and their subjects like origin stories or cookbooks, or we just interviewed a librarian. So that's more about the publishing industry and craft, but Mm. we're easy to find friends in fiction. Awesome. Those are all the places you can find me. Awesome. I love that. Well, I have loved this conversation. I'm so excited about once upon a wardrobe and Patty, you're just, you're so talented and you're so gifted and so creative. And I am just so excited for people to get their hands on your work and to get to know you a little better over on our Patreon community. So for friends who are subscribed to that, make sure that you don't miss the extra bonus conversation that we have with Patty. And so we're going to go do that now, but for this part of the conversation, Patty, I just want to thank you so much for being with me today. Thank you. You're so easy and fun to talk to. That seemed like Two minutes? I know, right? Yeah. Thanks so much for listening to the show, friends. I am so thrilled to have you be a part of this community. 
A couple of things I want to remind you of. Number one, did you know that when people rate and review podcasts on Apple Podcasts, it actually helps more people come across the show? When that happens, the messages we're sharing get spread even further and we get to encourage more people. How fun is that? So it would mean the world to me if you would do something that would take two minutes or really less of your time. Hop on over to Apple Podcasts, leave a rating and a written review. Tell me how the show is encouraging you and invite others to listen in. It truly means the world to this girl on the other side. And number two, if you are loving the show and you want even more content from Radical Radiance, hop on over to our Patreon page on your desktop or mobile device to listen to after the show bonus interviews, attend live Zoom parties, extra coaching, all the things. They're all there. So simply download the Patreon app and search Radical Radiance. Goodness, I would love to see you over there in that community. I just want to thank you one more time for listening today. And I can't wait to be back with you next episode, same time, same place. So for now, let's go girls.